Good morning, church. Good to see you guys this morning. My name is Jeff Skipper, one of the pastors here at Redeemer. It's good to be with you. As we continue our series, we're going through uh, Hebrews 11 uh, in the New Testament, uh, which is really a walk through the Old Testament, uh, which is pretty cool. We're, we're looking at both at the same time. Uh, I read recently, I'm not a big comics fan, but I was reading this story about how uh, the Superman comic was, uh, it, it started in 1938. And when it started, Superman could like move cars and trains, he could run really fast, he could leap over buildings, but over the next four decades, his, his powers just kept expanding. Uh, so before you know it, he had super hearing, x-ray vision, he could fly faster than light, he could freeze objects, um, move planets. When he got hurt, he would just immediately heal. He was just totally invulnerable, and because of that, the story got totally boring. And people quit reading Superman because there's nothing he couldn't do, and there was just no story. And actually, by the 1980s, the, the entire comic almost died. And what saved it was there was a new writer uh, who began writing, and what he immediately began to do in the 80s was taking away Superman's powers. So he could no longer lift planets. He was dependent on the sun for his power. There's kryptonite thing, that whole thing. And it, actually, what saved him was his limitations. Uh, his, his limitations is what saved the famous comic, because then it was actually a, a story that was a story. It was worth reading again. And the key ingredient as we look at the lives of those uh, in Hebrews 11, in this list where the author is flipping through the Old Testament, and he's encouraging these Christians who are in danger of backsliding in the faith, of losing their uh, profession. He's encouraging them to persevere. He's saying, look at how they lived. The key ingredient they had was faith, which means they actually embraced their limitations, Right, which goes against our first sin, our first sin in the garden, Adam and Eve. Our, our first parents was they tried to be like God. They wanted to break out, out of all of their humanity and their limitations. Uh, but these folks in Hebrews 11, they knew they couldn't know it all, see it all, control it all. And that led them to a life to where they trusted God and where they were really freely, true, they were free to truly live. Uh, to follow him into hard places, to listen and respond, to Obey, even when his commands didn't seem to make sense. And that's actually what makes a, a life of faith exciting. There's a story to it. It's our limitations and our weaknesses that make the story of following God adventurous because it forces us to trust him. It leads us to a, a posture in life where we say, well, who knows what he might do if we step out and we live by faith. And we actually see that type of faith no better than in the life of a man named Abraham. Now, up to this point, we're walking through Hebrews 11. We've covered stories like creation, Cain and Abel. Last week, we looked at Noah. And if you go back to Genesis, those stories are covered in Genesis chapters 1 through 11, uh, which is, is known as the primeval history. It's just this general, vast survey of time where these big events happen. Uh, and if you've been following along or if you're familiar with those first 11 chapters in Genesis, you know it's, it's a pretty rough story up until that point. Uh, there's already murder there's pride in the Tower of Babel, actually in the chapter right before this. Uh, there's judgment in the flood. And yet, without the fall, there's no rescue. That's really the mystery of the story. Without sin, there's no Savior. Somehow, our joy is greater because of the bad news, not in spite of the bad news. And that's the power of grace. But I mean, you notice something different when you flip the page from chapter 11 to chapter 12. It's like we go from this macro lens where we're looking at this general vast survey of time and all these 
masses of people and big events, and it zooms in on one man and one family for the next 40 chapters. And in a way, the the rest of the entire Bible is zooming in and following this guy's story that expands to the entire world. Actually, in the next 40 chapters of the book of Genesis, you only cover four generations of people. And God begins to choose his cosmic salvation project through probably the most unlikely candidate, which actually makes his grace shine that much brighter, which is good news. And because of his obedience, Abraham ends up being an archetypal model of faith for us. Actually, I did a word search. I was curious. In the New Testament, uh, Abraham's name is mentioned 72 times. That's more than the word cross is mentioned in the New Testament, more than the word resurrection is mentioned. I mean, you can't understate his importance. And when you think about faith, the Bible's saying you're supposed to think of this man and his story. And the main reason, he's in, main reason he's so important is because through him, Jesus, the Savior, would come. Right? That's what the culmination of his story is. But also, it's because in his story, we kind of find our own story. Right? Abraham was called to hit the road with God and to find his true home. And that same call comes to each of us. And because of what God ultimately did through Abraham and Jesus, we can follow with courage because we know how the story ends. And so today we're going to look at just the first scene of Abraham's story. We're going to look at him the next three Sundays because he has such a big story. There's so many verses attributed to Abraham just in Hebrews 11. We're just going to look at the call of Abraham. Uh, And so I want to read a few passages of scripture that are in your worship folder on the screen. Uh, We'll read Hebrews 11 verses 8 through 10, 13 through 16, and then just the first four verses of Genesis 12 where we get introduced to Abraham. Okay. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And from Genesis, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go. From your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. This is God's word. Uh, We're going to look at two points this morning. Just two points. Faith always leaves and faith always arrives. There's an outline in your worship folder if you want to follow along there. Uh, I met a friend in college, and he was the type of guy who would show up at your door, knock on the door, and just say, get in the car, we're going on a road trip. Of course, my walls were already up, right? I I didn't really know how to respond to that. Have you ever had a friend like that? Um, That friend actually probably grew more with that friend than anyone else. I I learned a whole lot. He was crazy and kind of dangerous, but uh, I had a a good time. In Genesis 12, you find out God's that kind of friend. 
Because Hebrews 11 recalls the first words of Genesis 12, as we just read, where God showed up at Abraham's door and he said, the first word he just said, go. Uh, It's an imperative, uh, which is a command. Go to a land that I will show you. In other words, get up, get dressed, get in the car, don't worry about where we're going. And that's a really big deal. Just that alone is kind of pretty confrontational if you settle on that invitation for just a a moment, but it's, it's a bigger deal if you get the, the, the context of the full punch of this scene. Because as far as we know, first of all, Abraham didn't know the Lord before this. And second of all, he lived in the city of Ur, uh, which is a pagan, was a, was a pagan city uh, where they worshipped the moon gods. There's actually been excavations there back in the 1920s southeast of Baghdad. We know where it existed. I believe there was like a pagan temple founded there and stuff. So that's the context. That's the, the world in which Abraham lived. And we find out a little further down that he was 75 years old when God shows up at his door. And his wife is barren. So this is the last guy you would think God would start with, right? To start his project, salvation project to the world through. Uh, on one hand, you would think, well, that's pretty cool. I mean, that's pretty cool to get an invitation from God that way. But he probably wasn't smitten with this invitation. Uh, because if he obeyed, there would be a really great cost. Because after he says go, the first thing God says is what? Go from where? Go from your country. And that's a big deal because in this time and age, you didn't travel more than a few miles from where you were born all of your life. Kind of like me, like my first 20 years of life. I grew up in a small town, and I remember the first time I went to college. It was only an hour away. I remember coming home from college the first time, and nobody was home, and I sat down with my dog, and I just started crying. It's the most pathetic scene, maybe, of my life uh, as I think about it. But I confess to you, right? There's healing and confession of our sins. Uh, leaving, leaving what is familiar and what is known and just going into the unknown, that's, that's hard. And in college, I hadn't even put down 75 years worth of roots in one place like Abraham had. I mean, he probably knew every street in Ur. I picture like the Ur flag hanging in his bedroom, right? I mean, this is his life. But singer-songwriter Derek Webb sang a song where he says, My first allegiance is not to a flag, a country, or a man. It's to a king and a kingdom. This is a costly call. This is a costly call to leave his country because God wants to take him on a better journey a journey with himself but it's a journey that will reprioritize everything in Abram's life go from your country but I mean he ups the ante even more in a sense where he says go from your kindred and your father's house I I, I pictured Abram 75 years old playing video games in his dad's basement because he's still in his daddy's house or maybe that just means that bigger extended family of where he lives there's like a failure to launch thing where God's had enough But he's told not only to leave his country, but also his home. So what does that represent? Well, he's saying, hey, not only leave your country, but leave what you know and what you think you know. Leave how you've always done things. Leave your prejudices that you've kind of gathered and learned up until to this point in this particular culture and family and home in which you live. Leave the identity that you've built up until this point, Abraham. The securities that you've kind of you know, walled up around you that have brought you this far in life, those securities can't take you any further. All of those things, they can't take you any further. It's time to step out and go on a further journey. Uh, This calls to mind Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he sees Peter and his brother who are fishermen, and what does Jesus tell them? Drop your nets and follow me. All right, leave your family tradition. Uh, 
I'm sure that their dad passed down to them, drop it right now for the sake of a greater allegiance. Jesus was saying that knowing him and life with him was worth leaving everything. In a way, and in a way to know him, you have to leave everything. And you can only imagine what Abraham endured when he told everybody he was leaving. Can you imagine? 75 years old, he tells everybody, yeah, I'm I'm leaving, I'm headed. Where are you going? I have no idea, right? He probably gets lectures that, from friends and family. Are you kidding me? You're crazy, Abraham. Told him he was irresponsible, that he was mocked. Um, John Bunyan, in the famous book, The Pilgrim's Progress, he caught this. It's an allegory. The main character is a man named Christian. And Christian is called to leave the city of destruction, to follow God. And when he does, and he begins to leave, his family just keeps yelling at him, don't go, don't go, whatever you do, don't go. And they're weeping for him to come back. And Bunyan says, Christian put his fingers in his ears and he just ran and he yelled, eternal life, eternal life. Moving scene. And the first sign of a true spiritual journey is leaving, which represents repentance. It's leaving what's familiar and what's safe and what's known and going into the unknown in some form or fashion in an act of faith and obedience to God's call. But there's a hard truth that comes along with that is that often the people who are closest to us won't get it or won't like it. And we may not either. Often we meet God's call in our own lives with resistance. We don't necessarily always like it. But it's tough to break away from the role you've always been known in and the reputation you've always been known by. I think Jesus experienced this to a certain degree. I mean, he was 30 years old when he started his ministry and surely he was met with, you're just Joseph's boy. What What are you talking about? We know who you really are. Scripture says even his own brothers didn't believe in him. Jesus himself said, a prophet's accepted everywhere except in his own, his own hometown. But in following him, God calls us to push past the crowds and even family to a certain degree. Push past what everyone else thinks for the sake of a greater call, a greater allegiance, and the greater reward of knowing him. Uh, Jim Elliott was a famous missionary, maybe you've heard of him, to Ecuador. Uh, he was martyred in 1956, only at the age of 28. Uh, But when he left to go on the mission field, he wrote a letter to his parents to tell him he was going. And I'm going to read it. It's a couple paragraphs. He says, I do not wonder that you were saddened at the word of my going to South America. But this is nothing else than what the Lord Jesus warned us of when he told his disciples that they must become so infatuated with the kingdom and following him that all other allegiances must become as though they were not. And he never excluded the family tie. In fact, those loves which we regard as closest he told us must become as hate in comparison with our desires to uphold his cause. He told his parents, he said, grieve not then if your sons seem to gladly desert or seem to desert you, but rejoice rather seeing the will of God done gladly. Remember how the psalmist described children. He said that they were a heritage from the Lord and that every man should be happy who had his quiver full of them. And what is a quiver full of but arrows and what are arrows for but to shoot? So with the strong arms of prayer, draw the bowstring back and let the arrows fly, all of them, straight at the enemy's hosts. Quite a letter to receive from your child. Leaving is hard, uh, but the scripture seems to teach in all of these scenes that repeat that without leaving, there's no, there will be no arriving. That without a cross, there, there's no resurrection. Without stepping out in faith, there will be no growth. Actually, one early church father, Gregory of Nyssa, he said, sin Sin happens whenever we refuse to keep growing. And every great journey follows that pattern, right? I mean, you think through stories. Uh, You leave the familiar, you go off, you own your own story, you go into the 
unknown, in our case, learning to trust God, and that's where you're transformed, right? That's, that's the story of the hobbit. Drew would be so proud right now, where Bilbo leaves the safety of the Shire, right? He's so safe. It's his perfect little idyllic area, and then he leaves, and he goes on this dangerous journey, and he fights dragons, and stuff comes out of him that he didn't even realize was down in there, and then he goes home transformed, right? Same thing happened with Simba. He did that. Uh, Nemo's dad, my wife reminded me, uh, Moana, it's, it's kind of the theme that runs all the way through that same shape, that same pattern of every great story, like that without being put in uncomfortable positions that call forth trust in the Lord and courage, right? places where we feel insufficient for what God has called us to, places that require faith. And that require us to rely on God. If, we, if we're not in those positions, then we won't grow and we won't experience God meeting us in that place with his grace and his sufficiency. Now, what does that mean for you, you or us, right? Working and living and raising a family in Winter Haven. Well, uh, it's not simply a geographical leaving, right? doesn't mean you immediately have to sell everything and move to Africa. Some people, it absolutely means that, right? For the Ellswicks uh, who are in Panama now, that's what that meant for them. Right, right, but for everyone, it's a journey of the soul to follow Jesus as a greater allegiance that does have circumstantial consequences. I want to say that again. It's a journey of the soul to follow Jesus as a greater allegiance that has circumstantial consequences, but that I think looks slightly differently, different in each of our lives, depending on your calling and your relationships and your place in this world. And so as I wrestled, and I really have for like two weeks, I'm like, what does this mean for people? This is what God told me. I have no idea. <laughs> there you go. Take that one home. I don't know. I don't know what that means for you. And I actually, I thought, it's probably sin for me to even go there. Only the Holy Spirit can, can do that for you. Only the Holy Spirit can, can tell you, what does this mean for me to leave? How does this apply to me? I know it applies to pastors and teachers and fishermen and businessmen and stay-at-home moms. But the question is, where have you not dropped your nets to follow Jesus? I'm going to ask that again. Whether you've been in the game, you've been a Christian for 40 years, ask that question again. Where have you still yet to drop your nets to follow Jesus? In what area of your life um, are you resisting God's calling to go, to serve, to leave, leave to, to give because you have an idol of safety or control? Or you're just ate up with fear of the unknown or fear of man and pressure from culture and others and people around you? Do all other allegiances in your life bow, bow down and find their place under your ultimate allegiance, allegiance to Jesus? Now, Abraham found the courage to go, but it wasn't in his own confidence and in his own abilities. He didn't say, you know, I got this. But he found it in knowing that God is faithful, God would go with him, and God always keeps his promises. There's something about this scene and this interaction, and Abraham would see it more as you go through a story, of where he saw God's heart. And he saw that this is a God worth trusting. That I can leave because this is the one who calls me. This is the one who leads me to something better. And God says, go, and I will show you this land, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will make your name great. As opposed to Babel in the previous chapter where man tried to make his own name great. Now God is saying greatness is God given and God made. He says, I will bless you. Actually, five times in three verses, God tells to Abraham, he says, you go. And then he says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. <laughs> and so he makes it very clear, crystal clear to Abraham that, hey, the weight of the mission is on me. 
He's saying, you obey, and even though you can't see even where you're going, because I'm not necessarily telling you at this point, you can't see how it's all going to work out, trust me, that's not your business to deal with that. That's my job. So is God's promise conditional? Did Abraham have to go? Or was it unconditional? Will God's will be done? Yes. That's the paradox of faith, which we find in so many areas of our faith. Verse 8 says, by faith. How did Abraham respond? He obeyed when he was called Or Genesis 4, I love the simplicity of this. God just loads all of this down on him. And then verse 4 just says, so Abram went. (laughs) You see this childlike faith. Reminds me of Jesus saying, unless you become like children, you'll, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Childlike faith. So Abram went. So a couple applications before we move on to answer that. What is God calling you to? Well, we know to a certain degree, we know he's calling us to follow him and to know him and to seek his kingdom, but specifically on the concrete of your life, what does that look like? How does that apply to you? In order to answer that question, you have to listen. If there's no quiet in your life, there's no stillness, there's no prayer, you're not putting yourself in the way of his word or godly friends, but your life is filled with busyness and distraction, even with really good things, then it's probably no surprise that you don't hear his call. I believe Abraham was listening to a certain degree. What does this mean for me? How does this work out in my specific life right here, right now? Secondly, the cost of leaving is worth the reward of following. I think we see that. The cost of leaving is worth the reward of following. I remember fishing with my middle son, Isaac, and uh, he's always my net, net man, and I hooked a bass, and so I'd always say, Isaac, get the net, right? So he, he runs, he grabs the net, he perfectly scoops this bass up, I, I should say, brings it in the boat, we laugh, it's like the greatest time, we take pictures and stuff, we put the bass back, we go back to fishing, and about like 10 seconds later, he's like, Daddy, where's my pole? I don't know, son. So we look around, we walk around the boat, we lift everything up. His pole, in his excitement to net the bass, he had taken his pole and literally just thrown it in the water over the side of the boat. It sank to get that bass. And let me tell you, he didn't even care about that pole. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. I know it was hard for Abram to leave, but I don't picture him ever looking back at Ur because life with God was so much better. And, and yeah, it was a mess. I mean, he made many mistakes along the way, and we'll see as we go through this story, but God's grace was greater. Romans 4 says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he actually grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Faith always leaves, but also faith always arrives. And you notice as you go through this story, if you go back and read his story in Genesis, you notice he's always on the move, it seems like. I picture Isaac in the back being like, are we there yet? Like forever, literally the rest of his life. Are we there yet? I mean, even when he got to Canaan, which was to be the promised land, he still called himself a sojourner when you go back and read. I read a book recently by Jamie Smith, and he said, in a way, we're all on a road trip, right? Some of us, are on, our road trip is a trip of self-discovery. Uh, we're trying to find ourselves. And others of us, we're on the road, but we don't have any destination in mind. 
Uh, I started reading a book by Jack Kerouac, his famous book, The Road. Uh, it's a story about friends out on an open road, and, and they're driving, and they stop somewhere, and a farmer comes up to their window, and he says, are you boys going to get somewhere, or are you just going? And they, they said that question just stopped them in their tracks. And some of us, we're on the road, but we're just, we're just going. We have no idea where. Some of us are on the road because we're running. We're trying to outrun our sin and our guilt and our shame and our regret and our wounds. And others of us were on the road with a destination in mind. The problem is when we finally reached that destination, it wasn't what we thought it would be. Uh, I read a story of Augustine, the early church father. Uh, he was in Milan about to give a really big speech uh, far away from home. He had kind of climbed the ladder all of his life. Uh, to reach this place of influence. He wanted to be a famous orator. Uh, and he kind of had all the news and notoriety. This is one of those type of events. He'd finally made it, and yet right before the speech, he was a total mess. He said, he writes in his book, Confessions, he said, I was outside before the speech, um, uh, pacing around, and I passed a drunk on the street. And, and he writes, he says, how unhappy I was. I was sweating, I was sick to my stomach, and then he passed this beggar. He said, I, I, he was already drunk, but he was just joking and laughing, having the best time. <laughs> and he said, on the, on the day I had arrived, I had finally made it to where I wanted to go. He was achieving his lifelong dream, like his, his kingdom had come, so to speak. He said, it was on that day when I was stopped in my tracks, and I said to myself, here I was. I had made it. I had won. Ambition had driven me all of my life with my goal being a carefree cheerfulness, and yet, when I finally made it, I'm a train wreck, and here was this beggar, a failure, laughing in the morning, while me, a success, was racked with anxiety. And he came to this realization as he writes his story, and he says, I thought I'd find joy and fulfillment after all my striving and obtaining, but it wasn't there. I was on the wrong road. I arrived and realized I hadn't arrived at all. It wasn't in the achieving, but he says it was in the smile of God. Which reminds me of a quote by Thomas Merton. He said, people may spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success only to find when they re once they reach the top that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. One of the, what a tragic scene. Think of Tom Brady, who on 60 Minutes, after winning his third Super Bowl, he said on 60 Minutes, he says, there's got to be more than this. Now, after a sixth Super Bowl, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't speak for him, but I imagine he still feels the same way. You're on the road, right? But what destination do you have in mind? And when you get there, will it satisfy you? What if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? What if you travel the whole world and you get to where you're going, whatever that looks like for you, and yet you never know God, and you never, therefore you never truly know yourself? But of course the question remains, you say, okay, Jeff, I mean, there's all these other roads, but was Abraham on the right road? I mean, look at his story. Was it worth it? Was he let down? Verse 13 says he never lived to see his descendants outnumber the stars like God had promised him and, and be a blessing to the world. You read the end of his story early on and it's kind of sad. You wonder, did God's promises fail? That's a question. Did God's promises fail? Well, a few things. One, verse 15 says Abraham was seeking a homeland, but it wasn't on a patch of land somewhere in the Middle East with a white picket fence around it. Right? He was seeking a better country, a heavenly one. The Bible says that's true of all of us, whether we realize it or not, by the way. That's the country we're seeking because we all have a spiritual homesickness. And C.S. Lewis said, uh, we notice it in the good things that we have here. The good things that we experience 
now remind us of our true home. But he said, but they're only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country that we've never yet visited. A country that we know is there, we know in our bones exists, but we just haven't been there yet. And the author says, ultimately, that's what Abraham was seeking. He was seeking a city built by God where there's no more night and there's no more tears and there's no more death, which we read in CBR in Isaiah 26 this week. I was at a funeral last Saturday, and you could feel people leaning in and just longing for that better country. And even if you don't believe the Christian story, even if you don't believe the gospel, don't you wish it were true? In your gut, don't you say, I wish I believed that. If I'm really honest with myself, in my bones, in the depths of who I am, that's really what I'm after. And so the author is saying, did God's promises fail? Oh no, Abraham arrived all right. It was just so much better than he could have ever dreamed. Also, did God's promises fail? When you look at this journey and this road trip that God took him on, well, first of all, you got to know the point of the journey. And I always take toll roads. It's pitiful. Like, I take the toll road to 98 instead of Winter Lake Road right there, if you know what that is. That's, every time, I don't care. I love a toll road. <laughs> I'm telling you. It could save me, like, half a second. I'm like, worth $1.25, whatever. But Abraham's story teaches us there are no toll roads to the promised land. Within one chapter, go back and read his story in chapter 12. Within one chapter, Abraham hits a famine, thanks God, right out the gate. He runs into a tyranny in Egypt. He lies about his wife. That can't be helpful in his marriage, right? He gets into battles. He has a big falling out with Lot, his closest, one of his closest family members. You're like, what in the world is happening here? What is God doing? It's a, a mess. His trip is anything but smooth. And some of that's due to his own sins, and yet some of that is because of the route God led him on. Abraham zigzagged his way to the promised land. And as we follow God, we learn God loves to take the long way. I mean, it seems like God's GPS, I don't know about you, is always rerouting and taking like sketchy back roads is what it feels like, especially as you read Abraham's story. You're like, sure, this is the neighborhood you want to drive through. That's where God goes, right? If that's what life feels like to you following God, it's three steps forward, it's two steps back, it's up, it's down like a roller coaster, that should be confirmation that you're probably on the right track. I, I would say if it's just smooth sailing, I would be concerned <laughs> because I see no precedent for that. In, in biblical and in, in Christian history of people who followed God, in the Bible at all, I don't, see, I don't see that. God called Abraham out. He led him straight out into the wilderness. He called Israel out of Egypt. He led him straight out into the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus, uh, out of, after his baptism, where did God lead him? Directly out into the wilderness. That's God's way. And guess what? He's not in a hurry. And that's because God's not, I don't think God's most concerned with getting us to the destination. That's the easy part. The journey is about what God is doing in us along the way and through us along the way. The point of the journey is that we would know God. What's the point of getting to the destination if you don't ever know God? It's the same reason I take my kids on hikes, not just to complete the hike, but that's where I connect with them. That's when I get to talk to them and they open up and we bond. Did God's promises fail? No, Abraham reached his homeland. And this is the normal way that God leads us. But finally, did God's promises fail? Well, I remember as a little kid growing up in church singing, 
father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had father Abraham. And I am one of them, and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord. I had no idea what I was singing. But I do know I was a little Gentile white boy 3,500 years after Abraham lived on the other side of the world saying, I'm a child of Abraham. How does that work? (laughs) Well, the first verse of the New Testament says this. The first verse of the New Testament, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, right out the gate. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son, Jesus, just like Abraham, to go, to go from his heavenly father's house to a far country, even our, our own. And God essentially said to Jesus, go and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. I used to sing an old hymn that said, he left his father's throne above so free, so infinite his grace, he emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free for oh my God it found out me Jesus the promised offspring of Abraham came he lived the life none of us have lived he never zigged or zagged in a way he never sinned and then he went and died for our sins and he rose from the grave and when he rose from the grave he conquered sin and death and hell and guilt and shame and loss and despair giving us hope and joy and meaning and filling our hearts with the security that through him we will be brought home to a better country to a heavenly country galatians 3 if you are in christ then you are abraham's offspring heirs according to the promise of course the first question you ask yourself when somebody shows up at the door and says road trip you're like can i trust you right especially if they say road trip not even tell you where we're going That's even deeper. Can I trust you? Can I trust this person? Can I get in the car? And it's natural to ask the same question about God. That's not, I don't think that's sinful, right? Can I I trust him? And when we look at Jesus, we see this is the God who calls us to follow him. This is a God who doesn't ask us to do anything he hasn't already done before us. He, He left. He had nowhere to lay his head. He lost his life so that in a way he and we might gain a so much greater life. But you ask, but what if, what, if, what if we only greet God's promises from afar? Verse 13, from afar in this life like Abraham did. What if, what if the sickness and cancer isn't taken away? Well, this chapter in Hebrews is encouraging us that the gospel says that we will attain, obtain an even better country because nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But what if life only feels like wandering in the wilderness and I just, you're just making circles and I went round and round and time slips away and before I know it, I look back and I wonder what I've accomplished. Well, guess what? Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. But what if we sin and we fail over and over again and we don't move when we were supposed to move and we take the wrong steps? Well, you see a pattern. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because the, God, the promise of the gospel is this. Faith always arrives. Because the end result is on God and his grace, not in how well we travel the road. So when he invites us, he doesn't say, you better do this and you better do that. He says the same thing. He's, it's an invitation. He's saying, come get in on this because I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And he's with us as we go. He says, you're not alone. I'm with you every step of the way. I've already walked it, A. B, now I'm with you. So therefore, the most repeated command in the entire Bible is what? 
Fear not. Why? Because I'm with you. So are you on the journey? Are you living as a pilgrim passing through to your true home? Or have you driven your tent pegs in a little too deep where you are? Maybe, maybe this is a time to repent, to do some leaving in order to follow Jesus more closely. And also, how might you be resisting where he's calling you? What he's calling you to? Now's a great time to actually ask that for the first time in a long time. Maybe you haven't asked that in a long time. What is God calling me to specifically as I follow him? Or maybe it's the, it's the first time you ask it ever you ask that question so that we... As Romans 4 says, walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father, father Abraham had, who was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Right? Lord, help our unbelief. We believe, help our unbelief as we follow you. Will you pray with me? Lord, uh, I love the verse in the New Testament that says these stories were written down for your instruction. And in it, we see the story of how you sent us Jesus, our Savior, the offspring of Abraham, who through him we are made not only children of Abraham, but we are made children of God. Thank you. But also we see the journey that you call us to. And so, Lord God, Holy Spirit, fill our hearts. Give us a good dose of self-examination right now. Uh, God, reveal uh, where it is where we're resisting your call. Your word says perfect love casts out fear, Lord. I'm so often full of fear, whether it's the unknown or fear of people-pleasing or whatever it may be. Lord God, I think all of us to a certain degree who are following you can resonate with those sins, those hesitations. So Lord, again, we say we believe. Just just help our unbelief, God. Uh, We want to glorify you. We want to follow you because in following you, we find ourselves and we're a blessing to those around us and we're made more whole. We're made who, who, who you truly made us to be. And that's what we long for. And we long to know you and walk with you, God as we do this together. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Show up together weekly because maybe you're in a place where you're like, I I can't really sing that because I don't feel that I'm not that confident. But to close your eyes and hear all of those around you singing the same thing. Uh, lifts up your heart and faith. It does for me. And because the ultimate promise rests not on our ability, but on God's promise to us. And you'll hear that in this benediction uh, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If your faith is in Jesus, receive this benediction. Hear this, hear his promise to you. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen. Go in God's peace.